Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 4. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I, I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. At this time, I'm going to ask Michael Tooley to come up, and if you'll join me in praying for him this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Michael and Rachel and their presence here at Coram Deo and their leadership. Father, I thank you for, for Billy, Hannah, and Sammy, and the way that they lead and guide us, God. I pray that they would feel that love this morning from your people, directly from you, Lord. Father, I pray for Michael this morning as he speaks, that we would hear your spirit, that we would have open ears to hear the message you have for us, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and motivate us to action based on your scripture. Father, that you would draw us together in unity under the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for this weather. Thank you for these people who can love and laugh and celebrate and interrupt each other to celebrate. And God, um, we just love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. All right. Well, I'm a bit thrown off. Oh, I feel like I should tell everybody to look under their chairs. Everybody has a grill under their chair. Um, no. Uh, this week was somewhat frantic, um, stressful, you might say. My wife and I are in the process of being very close to closing on our first home, um, which is awesome. But with that, I don't know if you know this, but buying a house is pretty stressful. Um, I honestly wouldn't recommend it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so when it came time to, you know, figure out when I was going to write this message and do some studying, every time I would sit down in front of it, um, I would just run into roadblocks of just the stress of the week. And by God's grace, near to the finish line, I just didn't have an introduction. Um, had everything else ready. And as I'm writing part of what we're going to hear later, 
I feel convicted and compelled and fired up, which usually happens when you study God's word. And so I reach out to Brad and Cody. They're, they're in my DNA group. That's just our small discipleship groups that we have here. Um, I said, guys, we got to start getting back together. I was like pumped. I was like, we got we to gotta meet again. We got we to gotta recommit to one another. And uh, in that little text thread, Brad's like, hey, there is men's group tonight. And I thought, well, not tonight. Uh, I've got to finish this sermon. Um, but by God's grace, I felt compelled both by the Holy Spirit and by Brad uh, to go to the men's event. And I'm so thankful I, I did because um, it gave me this introduction. It, 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 we sat on the back of Chris Bailey's deck just listening to his story. And I just thought all throughout, this is a picture of the gospel unity that Paul's talking about. This is a picture of just brotherhood and togetherness and um, hearing Chris passionately challenge each of us that Christianity is not something we do alone. It, it stirred my heart, and I couldn't help but think of Mary's words to Frodo in the Fellowship of the Ring. He says, you must go, and therefore we must too. You will need more than one companion on your dangerous adventure. We understand that is why we have decided to come. We know the ring is no laughing matter. You can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin and to the bitter end, but you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go on not a word. It's very tough to not read that with some sort of accent. But as we jump into our passage today, in classic Paul fashion, he gives us this, this instruction or this directive at the beginning, the very top, and then he goes on to almost over-explain what he means by it. He wants to be crystal clear on what it means to follow Christ. He starts with this incredibly, honestly jarring statement, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That could stop us in our tracks. The Greek there can also be translated, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. He's reminding the church in Philippi that they're not primarily Roman citizens. See, Philippi was a Roman colony. There was a lot of national pride in that, a lot of patriotism. If that, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you or not. But Paul says, no, your only boast is in Christ. You are citizens of a greater kingdom. And if we are in Christ, this is not our home. And America is not our primary citizenship. If we are in Christ, heaven is where our allegiance lies. So your manner of life, the, the way that you act as a citizen of heaven, should be fitting of, it should be representative of, worthy of, the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe a, a more simple way to put it is that Paul is just saying, all I'm asking could be summarized in this. Live the way a citizen of heaven should live. And as we spend some time kind of unpacking what he will give us today, how this will manifest, here is the big idea that we have for us today. Life in Christ is made visible in the death-defying, unified perseverance of the saints. Life in Christ, the, the Christian life, is made visible to, to one another and to the watching world with the fruit of death-defying, unified perseverance of his people. So we'll start this morning with the first thing we see in verse 27, boldness and perseverance. 
Look at verse 27 with me. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. When Paul hears of this church, his hope is that the, the report would be that they are standing firm together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is the first sign of a life that is fitting of a citizen of heaven. A person whose manner of life is worthy of the gospel is going to be marked by boldness and perseverance like none other. It's not a normal boldness or perseverance. And we'll touch on this more later, but, but both of these first things we see, both of these marks of Christianity are in the context of gospel community. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith. Paul wants to hear this church has a, a bold defense of the gospel and that they're per persevering in the faith together. The true followers of Jesus, those who are really citizens of heaven, will be marked by a unified boldness and perseverance that is centered on the gospel. And so life in Christ, it's made visible in the unified boldness and perseverance of the saints. What are we bold about? What are we quick to defend and stand up for? Is it our honor, our patriotism, our, our rights? If we are in Christ, he is our defense, our only defense. And so we should stand firm and lean on nothing but the gospel. So with your presence in the community, whether it's online, on the many terrible forms of social media, or in person at the town square, let me just ask this, and I'm asking myself this as well. Are we more well-known for chiming in on the latest angry rant, or are we boldly, joyfully declaring that our hope lies in Jesus, that he is our defender? Are we the anxious, fearful crowd that we've all experienced over the last several years? Or are we the calm presence that trusts and believes that Christ, in fact, has been raised from the dead? Do we give more airtime to grievance and doubt than we do the saving power of the cross of Christ? And this is a fun one. When we're talking about politics, whether it's with somebody that agrees with you wholeheartedly, or somebody on the other side of the fence. Is it abundantly clear during that conversation that when all is said and done, the final analysis, everything, all the chips are down, is it abundantly clear that our allegiance is to Christ alone? Or is it a little column A, little column B? In the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, a demon by the name of Screwtape is writing his nephew, uh, it's a fiction, um, He's writing his nephew to teach him how to properly be a demon and uh, take God's people. This is, listen to this part of the seventh letter that he writes. He's talking about this political divide. He says, whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of the partisan spirit, Come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him on to the stage in which the religion becomes merely part of the cause. 
in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the American war effort or of pacifism. The attitude which you want to guard against is that in which temporal affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you will have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing, provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity. He is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. I could show you a pretty cageful down here. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. It's incredible how something written in the 60s can be so relevant to us today. At C Group this last week, we, we talked about uh, the John Piper sermon that Billy referenced last Sunday. And it came up a lot. The word seashell came, a lot, came up a lot. And I was reading through this and, and asking myself, are we building proverbial seashell collections? Have we given ourselves to hobbies and leisure and, and different groups? And I, hear me again, I'm asking out of conviction, church, not to make us all feel miserable, but I'm, this, I feel like this is a, a rally call. Can we persevere? Can we strive together for the faith? Let's do it. Let's recommit to regular rhythms with our DNA groups. And if you aren't in one, please talk to somebody about that. Let's recommit to our community groups. Let's be a church together. Let's be a praying church. Oh, that God would help us put to death this mindset that says, well, we, we prayed and we prayed. And let instead us be a church that says we pray and we pray. And then when we're done praying, we pray some more. Life in Christ is made visible in this unified boldness and perseverance of his people. So let's boldly persevere together, y'all. Hear me. It's so easy to be knocked off track. And so I beg you to hear grace upon grace in my tone. The enemy wants to destroy us. And step number one in his strategy every single time is separation and division and isolation. But he will not succeed. Because the same power that resurrected Christ Jesus from the dead is the same power that resurrected us from spiritual death. So let's strive together for the faith. Life in Christ made visible in the death-defying, unified perseverance of the saints. We see it in the bold perseverance. And next we're going to look at verses 28 and 30. Death-defying, faith-filled suffering. Verse 28 says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, A life worthy of the gospel it's going to be marked by this, this unified boldness and perseverance, but also with a, a fearless, faith-filled suffering. He knows that the conflict that he's currently in, he's in prison, he's, he's facing persecution for the faith. He knows that that conflict that he mentions here in verse 30, it's coming soon to a theater near the Philippi church. He also knows, though, that to suffer for Christ 
is a gift. Verse 29 says, it has been granted to you. And I was struck back when I found the word for granted is carizo, very close to charis. It means a grace given or a kindness bestowed. This is a hard word. Paul says that not only is your salvation a gift, it's a, it's a, it's a grace to you, but as an added grace, you also get to suffer for the sake of Jesus. That's, that's tough, but it's consistent throughout scriptures. If we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, first with the words of Jesus, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Just one more in 1 Peter. He says, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior may, in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so when Paul writes in, verse one, uh, in chapter 1, verse 21, when he writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that should not be a surprise to us. A manner of life worthy of the gospel will be marked by faith-filled suffering. Life in Christ made visible and the death-defying unified perseverance of the saints. He says this, this will be a sign to the opposition of their destruction. But for those who are in Christ, a sign of salvation, both from God. So what if we really believed that death was gain? If we really believed what Paul says, if we really believed that death was gain, this actually is not that hard of a word to hear because we are safe from the worst fate, an eternal life apart from God. Unless we fixate on the terrible idea of suffering, we think more about that, we should remember why. Because salvation means that we put off the old self and put on Christ. And who has suffered more than Jesus? No one. Look at Hebrews 4, 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so we don't have to fear death. That's unreal. It's hard to believe. But oh, that we would hear the heart of Jesus in the words that he spoke to Lazarus at the tomb of Lazarus. When he speaks to one of the sisters, he says, I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This sort of death-defying fearlessness, this faith-filled suffering makes visible to the watching world a life of Christ. And rest assured, you cannot muster this. Let me just remind and encourage you that Christ has granted this to you. So we're not going to go home and be like, all right, I just got to be fearless. <laughs> Are you death-defyingly bold in your faith today? I'm not. It sounds really cool. Like if I could say that with a straight face. It honestly, yeah, like I'm not afraid of death. You know, like I wish, but deep down I know I'm not. 
But I'm encouraged by what Paul wrote in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Christ will finish what he started in you, in us. I know that I don't suffer well. I'm not a fan. But by the grace of Jesus, I have seen growth. Every ounce of which has happened in the, in the context of gospel community. God has used so many in this room to encourage, pray for, build up my faith, whether, whether by lo- watching your lives as examples or just being blessed by interacting with each of you. My heart is glad to be a part of Quorum Deo Church and what God is building here. Because you see, this power, the power of Christ that enables this sort of death-defying, faith-filled suffering, it is the power that begins to take your gaze from your ever-changing circumstances and it fixes your eyes upon the one steadfast circumstance in life, the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. I love that. Billy has said it a, a couple times during this series that the gospel is our one true circumstance. And if it springboards from that, that's where hope is found. Let me just give two small helps. If you're like, where do I even start? How do you suffer well? These aren't like the answers, but they have helped me. And they both come from my favorite book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes first one is in 311. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. But the first thing I would just suggest to you is, is to look for the beauty. It's not easy, but it is helpful. In my circumstance, in my suffering, what is beautiful about this moment? That is how you find God in the valley of death's shadow. One of the purposes of our suffering will always be drawing us nearer to God into a deeper faith. The second thing uh, is to ask God what he has for you in this. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 14 says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. If God is sovereign, then this suffering, as Billy has put it, will bow to God's gospel purpose. He is calling you to a deeper trust in what he has. In this, we will be enabled by the Spirit to fix our eyes on him and be freed to witness to others. I've seen it happen. I've seen people that suffer far better than me, and this is what's going on. Their eyes, they're they're in turmoil, but their eyes are not on the turmoil. They're on the one who rescues and redeems. The best example I could think of when I was thinking about this sort of death-defying faith, a sermon came into my mind from David Platt, and this is a story from that sermon, about Joseph Stone, who was a pastor that was interrogated, abused, and beaten in Romania. And he said that what got him through all of it was a high view of God's sovereignty, During these interrogations and beatings, he had this realization that the soldiers were doing those things. The the ones that were beating him could do absolutely nothing to him apart from what God would allow them to do. He recounts one time being interrogated by six different men, and he said to his interrogators, what is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between my God and me. 
The interrogators looked puzzled, and Stone said, My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sirs, that you will only do to me what God wants you to do, and you will not go one inch further, because you are only an instrument of my Lord. That, friend, is the sword of mine that is ours in Jesus. That is the death-defying, faith-filled suffering that assures us and the watching world of our salvation. That is the sign to those who not only do they disbelieve, but with, with a hard heart they scoff and belittle the truth of Jesus. That is the sign of the destruction. That is a sign of conviction. Life in Christ made visible in the death-defying, unified perseverance of the saints. And so we see the boldness and perseverance. We've seen this death-defying, faith-filled suffering. And as we close, we're going to look at life in Christ made visible in unified, selfless community. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul is now going to reiterate everything we've worked through this morning. He's saying, so if you know what it's like to interact with Jesus, if, you, if you've tasted the fruit of salvation, if, you, if you've experienced that, then you know that that is a joy. Complete the joy that I have. Make, make it a full joy by putting on display a unified, selfless community that is in Christ. Be humble. Think about others more than you do yourself. Stand together for the gospel. And look back at verse 27 again. He says, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If you're new here, you're going to find, after a couple visits, that we are going to speak again and again and again about the richness of gospel community. And we don't do that because we really love hanging out. We do love hanging out, but we do it because this is how the Word of God describes what doing life as a Christian looks like. There is no such thing as a Christian that doesn't need the church. There is no such thing as a Christian living all of life in isolation. It's just not a thing. Christ died to make us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, a, a family under the reign of the Father of the Almighty, the Father of the Almighty, sovereign God of the universe. We are in his loving care, so do not be surprised, friend. When you separate yourself from a commitment to your local church, from a commitment to your local church family, don't be surprised when the, the weakness of your faith is amplified, the strength of your doubt is amplified, and the cries of your despair are turned to 11. It's the same story every time. I just need some time alone to work out my doubt. And then it sounds really similar to like a bad breakup. I didn't like that person all along. You're just sitting alone in a room agreeing with yourself. 
Life in Christ is made visible in a unified community. The watching world, those who do not yet believe, are longing for community. It's part of being made in the image of God to long for fellowship and community. And so when they see the church living life in unity around the gospel, that speaks the truth about who Jesus is and the sort of people that he would make. So how on earth do we find unity like this? Well, Paul is glad that you asked, and so am I. He explains in verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, it's a Wednesday night. She got home from work. You're tired. It was a long day. Debbie at the office wouldn't stop talking. Ron gave you extra work. Uh, it's not even on your job description. Honestly, Ron should have done that work himself. These are made-up names, by the way. Um, it was a tough day, and then you get a text from Brad or Cody, or if you're one of the ladies, you get a text from one of the gal pals. Hey, you want to hang out tonight? Real answer? No. <laughs> not after the day I just had. Do, Do I know that time with my brother or my sister in Christ is going to feed my soul and give life? Yeah, but I just started a new show on Hulu. I'd really love to just unwind, eat popcorn, watch my show. Plus, tomorrow is going to be even bigger doozy of a day. We've all done that. And I'm not talking about, like, the actual need for rest, okay? This is not like saying, like, you need to say yes to everything that happens But we do kind of put ourselves first more often than not, don't we? That's not an exact example from my own life, but it's pretty accurate. These verses here sound so impossible. But then we take just a little peek into next week. We said I could touch on it. Didn't say I could preach on it, said I could touch on it. But look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Did you hear the good news, friend? You are in Christ Jesus. This mindset, this impossible sounding thing that we can't possibly ascribe to, it belongs to you in Him. Do you see where you fall short? Do you see your sin? Well, as it's been said, every time you sin is a reminder that Christ Jesus didn't. You see, we constantly act in selfish ambition and pride. We do not count others more significant than ourselves. Have you ever been cut off in traffic? You ever get stuck behind somebody that's going under the speed limit? They are in my way. They are interrupting my kingdom and the work I have to do. But Jesus, Jesus constantly set aside his own interest for the sake of others. Christ on earth preached to crowds, and after teaching and healing, he would seek out to feed the crowds. He's making his way through a crowd. He's on a mission. He hears a voice. He stops to give sight to Bartimaeus. Another time he's working his way through. He's he's doing important work, and he stops because somebody touched his cloak, and he gives attention, undivided attention to the woman who was looking for healing. He disposed of any chance of status with the religious elite, any chance of honor by hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And with Calvary in near view, he disrobes and gets on his hands and knees to wash filthy feet of disciples who would scatter just a few moments later after he would be arrested 
And perhaps the most tangible example we see are found in his words recorded in Luke chapter 22. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lived a perfect life. He, he followed God. He followed the will of God all the way through to the cross, through to the grave, was dead and buried. Three days later, arose from the dead, appeared to many, and ascended to the right hand of God. He sits next to the Father and catch this. Every selfless act, every moment of humility, every moment of deep compassion and selflessness, every single bit of righteousness that Jesus Christ lived is yours. It's put on you. So how do we dare stand a chance at ever being selfless? We look to Christ who has gifted it to us past tense. It's ours today in Christ. Hallelujah. We are bought and paid for. He's going to do it. He's going to work out the salvation in us. John Piper puts it like this. He says, if we think that our needs are going to be met by God, we will use, if we think that our needs are not going to be met by God, we will use people to get our needs met. But if we believe that by the gospel, this promise has been purchased for us and the blood of Jesus has secured for us this absolute promise that every genuine need we have to do God's will and glorify God will be met. My God will supply every need. If we believe that, then we will spend ourselves to meet the needs of others. That's the mindset of Jesus. That's the mindset of the gospel. Our differences become less and less significant. Our disagreements fade into the background if we are all about the gospel. And as we walk together more and more each day, we will turn more and more into what Billy referred to as Paul's Godward perspective. It's going to be more clear. If you're here today and you do not yet believe, I want to invite you to know Christ. And it's not about winning some sort of argument or, or, or achieving some sort of betterness. I want to invite you to know the one who has given me and many others here hope in the midst of suffering. Perhaps you've been going to church for a long time and you're pretty sure you believe, but none of the things you've heard today have ever been a part of your life. And if that's you, I, I would lovingly submit that maybe a, a good thing for you to do is to find someone and pray and, and ask God if you've really met his son, Jesus. Either way, myself and some others are going to be in the back to pray if you need prayer. But as we close this morning, I just want to reiterate how we should respond to this. That we should come together in boldness. Let's, let's push one another to persevere. Let's strive for the faith side by side. A few ways this can manifest in the life of our church, Quorum Deo. First, DNA groups. It just stands for Discover, Nurture, and Act. It's just a helpful structure for a group of ideally three people to get together for discipleship on a regular basis. If you haven't met with your DNA group in a long time, make it happen. No shame, no guilt here. Just like reach out, text somebody. My, my group, it, it's not ideal, but we have a lot of different weird work schedules and stuff, and so we use Marco Polo as kind of a, a stand-in. It's, it's not the same as meeting a person, but 
It helps us be in each other's lives from day to day. If you're not a part of a community group, please hear this invitation again. Tuesday night at the Wilcox home, Thursday night at the Glosson home, take the next step in what it means to be fully known and fully loved. And lastly, every Tuesday at the lunch hour at the church office downtown, if you're able, let's gather to pray together. I've seen our, our prayer meetings go like this, and I think that's okay. And so this is just a, this is just a reminder. It's not a guilt trip. It's saying, let's do it, guys. We got to keep praying. So don't hang your head low. Hear this as a, a victorious cry. We are in Christ. So let's behave together like citizens of heaven. This is the rally call. This is not much different than the call to worship on Sunday morning. It's a heartfelt reminder that let's do this together. Let's go out to a hurting and lost world that needs to know the hope we have in Christ. Let's make life in Christ visible with our death-defying, unified perseverance. Let's pray. God, I'm overwhelmed by your kindness. I'm thankful for your word. And this unbelievable gift that it is that that you would give us your righteousness, Lord. God, that our step forward um, is not so much one of, you know, gathering our inner strength, but more of realizing our need, depending and leaning on you, depending and leaning on your grace to bring us forward, to push us into perseverance, to remove fear, and to unify us, to tie us around your truth of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.